0: you
1: Hello and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz.
0: And I'm Mike Wasserman.
1: Hey, Mike, did you know that our podcast is good for your health? I recently received an email from Rich. Let me read it to you. Dear Bela and Mike, did you know that your podcast can be great for one's health? It has been for me. I'm 72 years old and I lift weights and ride a bike to stay in shape for sailing. Normally I would do about four miles on my bike, but when I have a few of your podcasts to listen to, you to I just keep on going. This has translated to between seven and 12 miles. So thanks best Rich from the sailing vessel safe Haven, which is a 2012 tartan 47. So Rich, thank you very much for the email. It's always wonderful to hear from our listeners. And, uh, you know, a little story the way I got into listening to podcasts back uh, when I first started listening to them was because I'm a runner and I would run every day and uh, I would listen to podcasts while I ran. And the rest is history, as they say.
0: Yeah, this is really cool, Bela. So podcasts provide value to people in many different ways. So I think this is cool. But yeah, always happy to hear that listeners are enjoying the stories we're sharing. So, Bela, what's on our agenda today, my friend?
1: Yeah. So today we have a repeat guest, a uh, very familiar face uh, to our listeners, uh, Mike Malkoff. You know, he started his trips on a Hunter 44 Dexalon, which is very similar to my boat uh, on Lake Champlain with the goal of making it down to the Bahamas and back. And we have followed along with him over the course of several episodes and followed his progress uh, from Lake Champlain down south, uh, down the Hudson River. Down the east coast of the United States, over to the Bahamas, uh, exploring the Bahamas, and now he's been making his trip back to the United States. So today's episode and our next episode uh, is sort of catching up with Mike uh, Malkoff on his trip back to the states and uh, what's going on there and how that trip was and sort of the lessons he learned from from that piece as well.
0: Great, Bill. Let's get right to it.
1: Good to see you again. Welcome to the
2: podcast. Hi, Bela. It's so good to see you for probably the fourth or fifth or sixth time. i can't I can't keep track anymore.
1: yeah, you've been you've been a frequent guest on the show, and I think our we started this whole adventure uh, on our very first one, I think which was episode seventy something, where you were talking about the planning that was going in to uh, taking your boat from Lake Champlain on the Vermont-New York border, down the Hudson River, down the Atlantic coast, over to the Bahamas, uh, and all the planning that went involved. And then we had a couple of follow-up episodes where we talked about that journey. And now you're back on solid ground. You're not floating. You're not on the boat. So the, the journey has concluded. So I thought we'd have a conversation about that.
2: Yeah, well, it, it has been a big uh, journey. and And you're right. It's been about a year since we started our conversation. And, uh, uh, I have to say my wife and I are safe and solid on, on ground. And as we say, uh, nobody was injured, nobody died and we didn't sink.
1: (laughs) That's, that's a good standard (laughs) to have (laughs) for success. We we have a low bar
2: when it comes to our sailing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, tell us last time, I think we spoke, you were you were anchored out, actually, or I think on a mooring or anchored out in the bay someplace uh, down in the Bahamas. And and talk a little bit about what's transpired since then.
2: I, ha- I had to go back and listen to the last conversation we had to, to remember where we were because uh, moving around. But we were uh, in a town called Spanish Wells, which was in the Uh And uh, we were, uh, I, I believe we might have been in the marina or we might have anchored out uh, we, uh, as I have mentioned to you in the past, you know, sometimes we'll get a marina and we'll secure it for a week or two and then take day trips out, knowing that if the weather is turning on us, we run right back into the marina where it's uh, uh, safe. So uh, Spanish Wells was really a nice town uh, and, and we enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, when I listened to it, we, I, I was venting my frustration because the wind instrument had... Uh, gone out on us. And oh, yeah. we, were, we were trying to solve it. And you had asked me what I needed you to bring. And I asked you to bring me a new one and you didn't. <laughs> so it's a good thing I didn't wait for you. Yes. Uh, yes. But, you know, here, here's the funny part. I think uh, in listening to it, I had told you, we had isolated it to the actual uh, control unit in the cockpit. Guess what? We were wrong. And uh, it wasn't uh, the uh, uh, instrument panel and part of the story I'd mentioned to you, people have reached out to others to ask for help or do you have a spare part? My wife put this up on the Facebook cruising guide and lo and behold, a guy that was less than 10 miles said, guess what? We just put in new ones and we have our old one here. And if you want it, you can come get it. And uh, it was, you know, a day sale to go. Sure. where he, he was, he was, uh, anchored in the Eleutheros, And it was fine. It was a great sale. We went over, we met the guy. Do you want any money or anything? He says, no, I was just going to get rid of it. And he says, if you can use it. So we took that. Uh, I replaced the one we had only to find out that wasn't the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, that gets back to the story of my wife going up the mast, uh, taking everything apart up there as best she could and it, it wouldn't work. Uh, long story short, it it, it was so, it's something at the top of the mast, you know, with the salt and everything in the connections. And uh, she was up there, put it back, came down. And then when we were moving to our next island, it started working again. So uh, it, who knows, uh, boat, yeah. zombies, whatever. And it worked. of the time and intermittently it would quit on us. So it's definitely a connection up at the top. uh, And uh, uh, we just kind of at that point, I I have to say the other thing in being on the water so long for the year, in the beginning when something went wrong, you panicked. And it's like, oh my gosh, we got to get this fixed. What do I do? Do this, do this. By this part of the trip where we were in the last quarter, I, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> Let's just keep going, you know. Right. Uh, so I don't right. know the wind speed. I'll live. I, I, you know, I know what to expect. I'm watching the weather, and we, we let it go. Because the other thing that went out on us as well was uh, the boat speed uh, wheel underneath the boat, which I'm sure you have the same one yep. on yours. Yep. And lo and behold, uh, it measures the speed of, of the boat. Um, through the water now also as you know the instruments are also doing that but they're doing it with the satellite uh, side of it as your boat moves it's tracking you so you do get the boat speed that way Uh, the wheel gives you a little bit different information because if you're going against a current the boat will actually show up going faster than what you really are which gets into more technical stuff, but a uh, question for you: Did you also realize that that wheel has something to do with your uh, directions of your wind on the anemometer? That because you have two wind directions, you have your uh, uh, what's the two directions
1: of the wind? Well, there's the there's the, the, the true the true wind and the true apparent wind,
2: wind, and and the apparent. Do you know that that has something to do with the uh, apparent wind?
1: Yeah, so that's interesting because um, oftentimes I do not use that little paddle wheel because if I leave it in the boat uh, and I'm not using the boat, like if I leave the boat for a week or two weeks and I come Mm -hmm. back, it gets full of marine life and it stops working. So oftentimes, unless I'm going on a bigger trip, If I'm just going out for a day sail, I don't even install it. Uh, So it must on my boat the true wind, the the calculation of the true true wind speed and the actual wind speed. Maybe they take that from the from the the actual speed over ground, meaning the the GPS speed. Maybe that's how they make that calculation because it's still there. It's there whether that I have that paddle wheel sensor installed or not well uh, we were told
2: that it has something
1: to do with the true and
2: apparent winds because that's the other thing is i was able to i was getting true wind but not apparent anymore ah okay so as i said at this point of the trip it was you know what uh we're not going to fix it we're not you know sending out right. well we we looked at getting uh a new anemometer and basically what was say two or three hundred dollars by the time we got it it was eleven hundred
1: yeah due to the
2: shipping and and duty that you would have to pay yeah so yeah so anyway that that was our our thing but the interesting uh, what I, I wanted to take away from this a lot of people go on Facebook they go to the cruising uh, uh, you know whether it's the Bahamas Caribbean and people say hey listen we just Broke this? Does anybody have it, or, or willing to sell it, or whatever? And I, my wife tried it, and it worked the first time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we've had this conversation in the past, and I've had it with others that the cruising community is is so supportive of each other. It's just remarkable to me. It's absolutely yes. remarkable. Yeah. You know, Mike, your your sound quality has deteriorated again. Uh, I I wonder if you could. Are are you using a laptop? Does that have a built in yes. microphone? Maybe. Yes. Maybe maybe you could go to that settings thing. It's in 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 uh, Skype
0: and switch it to a different microphone. See if that helps. Because you should have a choice there of the built
1: in internal microphone or the or the one that you're using. How is was that? Uh, that sounds a little better, I think.
0: If that sounds a little better, we'll go with that. That's the
2: uh, internal microphone.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're both kind of broken up. They're not, they're not great. Anyway, I think it's better than the other one. So the, the point I was gonna make when you were talking about your wind speed indicator is I have found that probably 90% of the times when I have electrical challenges on the boat, they're due to one of two things either a loose connection or a corroded connection. (laughs) Very rarely is it the actual electronics itself or the, you know, the box itself. It's usually a wire someplace that's either loose or it's corroded and not making good contact. Well, that's,
2: that's uh, where, that's where we ended up is that it had to be a connection at the top where it plugs in. There's a plug at the top and you know, it's, you're exactly right. It's a corroded connection of some kind. And unfortunately, my wife not being very tall, when you put somebody up to the top of the mast, <laughs> you can only pull them so high and then you just run out of room. Right. You know right. that, uh, And because she isn't that tall, uh, we couldn't get her higher so that she could actually get up over the top. Yeah. And anybody that's had to do that, they certainly can understand what it's like trying to work at the top of the mast, uh, taking things apart, not dropping things and, you know, dealing with the elements.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially when the boat's rolling around in the water a little bit.
2: Right. So, so anyway, that's just a side note to the uh, uh, if you're on a boat, uh, things break.
1: Yep, that's for sure. So let, let's, let's, let me ask you a question uh, as you were talking about this, it got me thinking about anchoring and you know, I, particularly when I'm on my boat, if I'm on other people's boat, it's not as bad, but when I'm on my boat, I always have what I call anchor anxiety. It It's like, I just don't sleep well when I'm anchored out and uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just what it is. So, you know, I always try to get a mooring ball if I can, or if I can go to a dock, I think it's great because then I sleep like a baby. but when I'm at an anchor, I never really sleep well. Are there any things that you sort of learned uh during your your excursion here about anchoring? Yes, um, in
2: talking to other people about anchor anxiety, um, which my wife suffers from terribly uh, is that uh he, He says, uh, I said to him, well, what do you normally put out and how do you calculate that? He says, I always put out at least a hundred or more feet. And I said, well, how do you come to that number? He says, because I can and I have that amount of anchor chain. So uh, I, I think I learned that early on as well that, um, Forever, as you know, there's all the calculations to figure out how to drop a certain right, amount. Okay. Right. Uh, if I'm in six feet of water or 10 feet of water, uh, I'll do my calculations and drop an extra 30 or 40 or 50 feet Sure. Uh, just for yes. the sake of that that comfort level. And seasoned people will tell you, you know, if it says to drop 50, I'm dropping 85 Uh, because, as you know, the weight of the chain keeps the anchor settled on the bottom. Right. Um, And I will also back down on it unmercifully and even sometimes drag it a little bit to set it to the point where, you know, I'm not moving. Um, so, So, you know, those are some of the things. And then we use three anchor alarms so that if one goes off or one malfunctions, which they do because they're all electronic, is that one of them, you know, if we did drag to that point, it would be set off and we'll set them for different distances too.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: But, but as you know, uh, which is my wife's anxiety, is when we pull into an anchorage, that boat's too close how much chain do you think they have out? Why are they, why is that boat, uh, why is that boat not in the same pattern of the other boats? Do they have two anchors out? And I just sometimes, (laughs) I've gone through an anchorage six times with my wife saying, nope, this is too close. Uh, what about the shore? How's the current? So (laughs) need I go on?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors. How did you find the anchorages down there? Uh, were they crowded? A lot of boats, or was it was it pretty sparse? It,
2: it was everything and anything. Um, it, it, the ones that are well known can be a bit crowded, um, and sometimes the anchorages are so big that there could be thirty boats there. But you could find, you know, you could find your spot, so so to speak. I think the scary part is that boat that comes in with the people that are newbies. And they just uh, we, we had that happen, actually, when we came back to Florida in one of the anchorages. And there were two other people we knew that were all anchoring in the same area. And this guy just pulls up right in between us and just drops his anchor, doesn't back up on it. And it's like you do realize you're like 30 feet from us. And finally, the Crowd got him to move, you know. That we all said, "Hey, listen, yeah. this is yeah. this isn't working. Can you move?" And it was plenty of room, so there was no reason. It was sort of like, "Well, they're all here, so I'll go right in the middle of them,
1: right, and, and right. anchor."
2: So, so there's the concern of you doing it correctly and then wondering about the people uh, around you. Uh right. but uh, uh, but for the most part, in the Bahamas, most of the people. Generally know what they're doing, Uh, so it's it's the people that rent the boat for the week type of thing. So, yeah, very um, nice. So we were in.
1: Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, what were some other key takeaways from from your experience down there?
2: Um, Well, I spent a lot of time the the last call that we had uh, with understanding the weather. Uh, that yeah. the wind, uh, the wind, the sea state—you uh, know—that there is no schedule. Um, when the weather decides to let you go, that's when you're going to go. And that my wife and I are very conservative. We're not taking on the high seas, so to speak. And we're going to wait until we have a good weather window. And if that takes five days or ten days or whatever, that's what we're going to do. We want to be able to sail as much as we can and we also just don't want to pound the boat into the waves so we're looking for you know the winds that are not going to be directly on the bow or where we have to constantly tack type of thing and that's when we went from Eleuthera from spanish wells we went to the abacos that was a day trip that was going to be an eight to ten hour sail and we were actually not leaving the Bahamas, but we were definitely on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean, the open ocean. And, you know, that could be a challenging uh, trip. Um, knock on wood, the, because the weather prior to that had been bad, there was about a week to two weeks of waiting for that window. The anchorage that we picked, which is the anchorage to go over, there were a good 30 boats. And all 30 were having the same thing in mind, all going to the Abacos. So friends of ours that we were sort of buddy boating with, we decided to leave before sunrise uh, that morning. That was going to be the good first good window. And I'm glad we did because we were in an anchorage where we weren't leaving a channel or a bay where you have to navigate. It was open ocean and you just go. So we left when it was still dark, and then as we left, and you look back, as you know, with AIS, yeah. here come the other twenty-eight yeah. boats yeah. Uh, behind us, all going in the same direction. So there's a certain level of comfort in that, knowing that if something went wrong, you've got all these other boats, uh, you know, in the same direction, going to the same exact place. Yeah, uh, so that that turned out to be. Uh, a fairly enjoyable uh, motor sale, I'll call it, because yeah. it was a little bit of both.
1: Yeah. Was there, is there or was there one particular place that kind of gave you the best source of information about anchorages and facilities and all that kind of stuff? Or was it several different sources that you had to go to?
2: Um, I think we used multiple sources. Um, You know, obviously, the online systems that are available and stuff, uh, you know. They have places where people leave comments so that you could see what people were saying. Now, if we saw an anchorage where there was one comment and whether the comment was good or bad, it was sort of like, well, okay, you know that you got to take it for. Right. But when we went and there was one that had, say, 15 comments. And they were all positive. And it said, this is exactly where we went and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, that would be something that we'd identify. But we would look at, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm losing these names now because I'm on land for, for a couple of weeks. And it's like out of sight, out of mind. But, uh, uh, you know, we would then feel comfortable. And generally, when you pull into these type of places, there are already boats there and uh and then we would just follow you know our own what I would call pattern of looking at depths, looking at you know where the inlets were, were there currents, that type of thing, as to whether we stayed or or moved on the The good thing is in the Bahamas, if you don't like this one, there's another one in a short distance away, very seldom is it this one or nothing, yeah, so. So you could make those decisions.
1: Very nice, very nice. And uh, how did you find uh, the the charts? I think if I remember correctly, you said you used Navionics and and did you find them to be accurate, uh, et cetera?
2: Yeah, we used in the States, we were really relying on aqua maps, which we felt were really good and accurate. Navionics as a backup. But once we got into the Bahamas, Na- uh, Aqu- Aqua uh, is became the secondary one uh, for a, a number of reasons. They didn't quite have the detail a- of Navionics, and not Navionics, you know, worked really well for us. And then the other thing is, um, all of the Bahamas. There are a number of Facebook. Uh, Groups that you can join. And so if you're in one part, if you're in the Eleutheras, you can go on the Eleuthera uh, Facebook uh, uh, group. And then people are all talking by the day, oh, hey, we just pulled in here and it's really good. And, and you know, the anchorage is fine and the depths are good. And we're not, it's not rolly. It, it's worked out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's useful.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: The, uh, how was the trip back? The trip back, this could be four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the trip back, we went over to the Abacos. And the neat thing about the Abacos and the <coughs> reason we wanted to go there, we went to Marsh Harbor, which is the, <coughs> I guess you could say, the main town mm-hmm. um, uh, in the Abacos or the largest town and we went to a place called the Konkin Marina, which was brand new uh, because of the hurricane uh, Dorian that had gone through there right around when COVID started. Um, and we used that, we, we booked the place for a month with the idea that all the places in the Abacos were like a day sale, a less than a day sale, an hour here, an hour there. So we could go over, we'd anchor, and go to another island. And if the weather turned, we had a reservation in a spot back in Marsh Harbor that we, yeah. we could we could run back to. Um, so that and we also decided that the Abacos was our last stop because we were then going to go back to the states through what's called the northern route, which is going north through the Abacos and and then crossing over to the United States on the northernmost point of the Bahamas. So that was that was basically our plan. And uh, the abacos were great. There were a lot of places to go to. We spent time in Hopetown, which I say is a definite stop for everybody. Um, just a you know, lot of stores. Uh, it didn't get hit quite as bad with the hurricane. When we went to Marsh Harbor, though, that was the epicenter of Hurricane Dorian and the devastation just was unbelievable. You know, you see pictures in the US of hurricane devastation. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: The island uh, winds were gusting up to 300 miles an hour with 30 foot tidal waves and um, numerous uh, tornadoes. Um, to the point that the Bay in Marsh Harper emptied completely as a tidal wave came in. There was literally nothing left on the island. There wasn't a house. There wasn't uh, no wires. All the infrastructure, 98 yeah. percent was destroyed. So I would say going in the abacus, you had to sort of take into consideration that it was either new or destroyed. There was no in between. And the rebuilding is going to be going on for years. So some of the places we visited was a a little. I I, am trying to think of the right word, but you know, just utter desert devastation where it used to have restaurants and bars and stuff like that. They're coming back, but there isn't a lot uh, uh, on in the Abacos on those islands. Um, But you could easily go between them and We also found some of the snorkeling to be really good in the in the Abacos that my well, my wife and I, both of us really enjoyed to the point where in some of the reefs that the fish are so trained to get fed by people Uh that they actually it's it's like going to a petting zoo. And the fish just mob you like, okay, well, where's the food? (laughs) And yeah. my wife really got a kick out of that because as soon as then we did bring food uh, for them, and as soon as you broke open the bag, you were pushing fish aside because they yeah. were they were all over you. So, cool. um, so that was our final uh, island stop before we headed back uh, to the states. And once again, it took uh, a good amount of time to figure out how many days, how far we would go each day in making this trip from what I called Marsh Harbor, which is the center of the Abacos, all the way back to Florida uh, th- through the uh, northern route. Hundreds of people have done it before, so it was very easy to look and see what other people did and where they'd start from and how far they would go. So our plan was to go to, from Marsh Harbor to what's called Green Turtle Key. Uh, which was a four-hour trip, basically. And then from there, we were going to an island uninhabited called Great Sail, which is sort of like one of the departing points to the U.S., but it would be an overnight trip. Mm -hmm. Um, We went from Green uh, 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 Great Turtle uh, going to Great Sail. We did really well until the wind changed.
1: Yeah, you, you 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 broke up again, Mike.
2: The the Wi-Fi here. And uh, okay. all right, let's. Uh, if, I'm sure you can edit a little bit of this.
1: Oh yeah. So let's try it again. So so the last thing I heard
2: was the waves. The,
1: the, the sail went fine. No, the, the last thing I heard clearly was it was going great until the wind changed.
2: Right, and then the wind changed where it was hitting us on the bow, and it picked up considerably, which meant now we're in five foot waves. And trying to get to uh, the uh, Great Sail Island um, wasn't, we had to make a decision. Do we want to keep going or do we want to stop? And fortunately, there are a lot of small islands all through the Abacos. And we followed a, two or three other sailboats that were in the same position as us. And we saw them veering off and we followed them and veered off to just a uninhabited island that had a little bay in it. And we basically hid in there for the night. And stayed there. And what this what this did, which was fine, that we could do that. Now we had to make the decision. Do we just continue the next day for like five hours to get to Great Sail, stay there and then leave? And based again on all the weather calculations, I said to my wife, you know what? In order to go overnight, as you probably know, you leave a lot of times in the afternoon because you want to get in in the morning during while it's light. So I said, if we get to a Great Sale, we're going to have to sit here for quite a while because of the timing. And I say we just keep going. Yeah. So we actually decided to do like a 36-hour sale to Florida
0: Bela, great first half. You know, Mike is such an interesting guy. I mean, he's got all these challenges and all these issues, but he explains them in such a relatable way, and it's always a great way to learn. So what were your big big takeaways from the first half here?
1: So I think uh, to me the the takeaways were when something goes wrong, it's not always obvious what it is. I mean, this is true in all things all sorts of things in life, but it but it can be very true on a sailboat as well. Something stops working, and uh, some of these systems are complex. So you think it might be this, but it's not, it's not the sensor, or it's not the wire, it's the module. And it's and you got to diagnose all that stuff. And you're trying to diagnose it on a sailboat that's floating in the water. And you know we were talking about his his wind vane, uh, which tells you the direction and the speed of the wind. And that's at the top of the mast. <laughs> so it's it's not something that's easy to get to. So <clears throat> you got to pull someone up to the top of the mast. And the way you do that, Mike, is there's several lines that run up to the top of the mast for lifting sails up, as, it, for, as an example. And you basically put on a mountain climbing harness and you strap yourself into this line that's going to the top of the mast and your partner gets on the winch and cranks you up to the top of the mast. And you're hanging there, you know, on my boat, it's like you're 62 feet above the water. You're on a, you're on a 60 foot pole that's moving around with the waves. And even if you're in a marina, it's amazing how that lever arm, how much that lever arm moves, (laughs) you know, even when people are walking around on the boat, like on my boat, when people walk around on the boat, you don't really notice the boat moving or, you know, moving to one side or the other. But if you're at the top of the mast and someone moves from one side of the boat to the other, you notice it. So, you know, there's those types of challenges of of sort of sorting through what these things are. And then if you're in a remote location like he's been, getting the parts. Um, And, you know, also not every place you go down there has Internet service. So unless you have Starlink, I mean, the Internet is a wonderful way to diagnose stuff. I use it all the time. I call it YouTube university. (laughs) Uh, uh, There's so many things that YouTube has helped me fix. Uh, So I think that's a, that's a big challenge. And, and the other thing he talked about was corrosion, you know, salt water is, is remarkable for the, uh, the life that, that lives in salt water, but it's also remarkable on how it takes things that we make like metal in particular, and just corrodes the, corrodes the Dickens out of it. So there's, there's all sorts of corrosion challenges on a boat. Anything that's made out of metal, you got to protect somehow with back from chemistry in high school, we learned about sacrificial metals. So there's all sorts of sacrificial metals that you have in a boat to protect the other parts of the boat. Uh, and, and so, you know, those are just sort of normal things. Uh, but I think they get amplified when you're not at your home port, uh, you're away in in unfamiliar waters or in an unfamiliar country where it's harder to get stuff, or it's prohibitively, you know, to to get a thirty dollar part cost you one hundred and fifty dollars to ship it there. So, uh, I think those are some of the things that I were were takeaways for me.
0: Neat. I like your term anchor anxiety that you you were throwing <laughs> around, and I'm I'm sure you didn't invent that. And there's been a lot no. of banter about that. But I'm curious how these anchor alarms work. Can you tell me a little more about that?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, anchor alarms are basically an app on your phone or on your GPS chart plotter on your boat. And when you drop anchor, you you hit a button. You, 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 hit, you, you hit you hit you hit hit your app. You touch the screen on your app, uh, or you, you push a button on your on your chart plotter, and it says, "Okay, that's where we dropped the anchor." in the gps coordinates so it knows where the where you drop the anchor All
0: right down to three feet or whatever it is right? yeah whatever it is right three to six right. feet and
1: mm-hmm. then depending upon how much scope you put out scope is the amount of of anchor line that you let out mm-hmm. uh, uh because that affects how how far you what radius you're, you're going to swing it
0: yeah, right you're going to drift
1: mm-hmm. so you put out 50 feet You'll, you'll swing in a 50-foot circle if everything's good. <laughs> but at 100 feet of chain, you're going to swing in a 100-foot circle if the wind changes or the, the tides change. So the anchor alarms basically take advantage of this GPS technology and, and knowing how much anchor chain you put out.
0: And you put anchor. that in? You enter that yes. manually?
1: Yes, okay. you enter that manually. On the one I have, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And, and then you put in a little buffer you, you put in so sort of like, mm-hmm. okay, how, how much outside of this area do you want to drift? And if you go outside of that area, it sets off an alarm. Your phone beeps at you mm-hmm. or your, your chart plotter beeps at you. So it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, the, the ones that I have used in the past, the key is pushing the button the moment you drop the anchor. So, because that's, that's, that. That point, that center point, it defines everything. So lots of times what happens is you forget to do that. And I put out I drop my anchor, I put out my anchor line, I set the anchor, and they go, oh, my anchor alarm. And then I pushed the a button. But now I'm off by a hundred feet. Up. Right. So yeah. that's that has always got as gotten soon as you me.
0: go if you swing 180 degrees, it's gonna go right. off because you'd have to double, right. you'd have to double the amount essentially. Right. Right. Change.
1: Double it on one side, but,
0: but not, not on the, the other side. <laughs> so there's a there's an invention there, right? And then there's yeah. the tides, because when you lower and raise, right, this is also going to change.
1: Yes, yes, it does. So you need to uh, hopefully, you know, most places, unless you're going up to Newfoundland or the UK, right, certain parts of the world have, have huge tides. Right. Most places, you know, like the Chesapeake has one or two feet of tide uh, Narragansett Bay where I sail has about five or six feet. Uh, so it's not, it's not going to make that much. It won't difference. make a
0: difference. Okay. Right. right. And these things will wake you up theoretically, right? Cause you're, yes. I know like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's overnight, right? So you set, you got it loud enough that it'll wake you up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You set the alarm loud enough on your phone. There's a lot of these apps for the phone, uh, or, you know, on your chart plotter and they'll, they're supposed to wake you up. Yes. That's the mm. idea. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Because and they if, fail, it, you said it's not uncommon. Well, be, it, it, it's
1: they're not a, they're not accurate, right? Because you don't, I I can't tell if it's user error, imp, user input error, or if it's
0: the app not the, working the, right. The satellite's a little off for a moment, right? Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's even like on a, on a, on, a, on land, right? Sometimes the dot wavers, right? Yes, on your phone, you know. Yes, that's in, right. In, in, so that's right. Sure. So there's
1: there's that type of fluky stuff. Uh, you know, and lots of times, if, if you can find a nice anchorage where there's not a lot of other boats, uh, it's great because you, you're not, I mean, you have a couple different worries on your anchor, right? right. You, you, number one, even if you don't drag, if your anchor is secure, that someone else is going to drag, right. <laughs> right? So you're worried about other other objects. It's so it's like a pinball machine. Mm-hmm. And that's number one. Number two is when you come into an anchorage, and there's other boats around, you don't know how much anchor line each boat put out. So you don't know what their swing is, right? There's a rule of thumb, right? The rule of thumb is you put out five times the depth of the water. But some people like to put out eight or nine times the depth Because of the they're water. nervous.
0: Right. <laughs> we just, we heard that. Right. And it makes sense, yes. right? But if everybody yes. does that, now you have, you have a problem. Right. So it, but it seems don't like there's an invention there. If one company can master this so that every boat in the harbor is using the same system and they've all put in how much line they've got. Right. And then it can warn you. It's like a, a drug interaction. Right. If you have two meds that you're taking now, you've got an interaction and they could say, hey, problem here. Right. And on both boats. yeah, That That's would be it. cool.
1: Yeah, it would be cool. Right. So you share. So you all have the same app and the apps know where everyone else is and they know how much they're swinging. Right. That, that's a cool idea, Mike. Right. Because the, the anchoring stuff is, is, is a challenge. Uh, and, and, and I get uh, what you're
0: saying. I mean, I know my little sailing experience, right. I would much rather be in a mooring ball than I would with the anchor. Mm-hmm. All right. I have much more confidence in the, the, the mo- in the mooring ball than, in, yeah. than, than in my own skills and setting an anchor and right having to, yeah, I, I,
1: I'm, I'm always I always have this little bit of anxiety about it, particularly if the wind picks up and it's howling and there's a thunderstorm.
0: Right. right. And, and you're a you pro know. right for somebody like me, right. It's even a bigger deal, you know?
1: <laughs> well, well there is this, there is this sort of, I, I can remember when I first start chartering bigger boats, I didn't have a clue what I was doing on some of these things. And I slept really well. <laughs> <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> right. So there's there's sort of that part of it, right? When you, when you don't know anything, yeah, it's fine. I just put out, I just dropped the anchor overboard and put out a little bit of chain. Yeah, it's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's set. Not, we're not going anywhere right. right now. Not going anywhere. And
1: and you know, I reflect back on some of those. I got lucky. I mean, yeah. sometimes the wind picked up at night, and I I could have dragged, but I got lucky. I didn't. Um, and I anchored too close to shore or I anchored too close to other boats and stuff.
0: So it it, right, because you hope everybody swings in the same direction, right? That's That's the mentality that if the wind pushes everybody in the same direction, but you're not guaranteed of that, right? Particularly if there's tide or current. There's a
1: tidal current. Because the 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 that the tidal current, the way you're gonna point in a tidal current is this but depends upon the shape of the bottom of your boat whereas the wind is impacted by the shape of the top of your boat above the water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's these two forces interacting. And And when you can see when you can't, right. Right. And when the tide and the current is in opposite directions, sometimes you'll see the boats are just scattered all over the place. Nobody's interesting because a big
0: bottom boat would be pushed more. That's right. right. But a big top boat, you know, by the tide and a big top boat might be pushed more by the wind. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. So, uh, it, it's, it can be tricky.
1: It can be tricky,
0: uh, but I like the idea of the app that communicates with the other, all the users mm. are that information's being shared and issues. You know, it's like the airplanes, right? The collision avoidance right. systems. Right. But, right. And okay. And this is cool. So, you know, I was envisioning, I think the ones that I've seen were connected to the, to the ship, you know what I mean? Right. But it's a phone and you have to push go, right? Yeah. This is a, a way more portable solution, which is kind of yep. cool. Yep. All right. What do you think? Let's stop for now. We've got momentum for part two, the exciting conclusion that will be released next episode 86 listeners. Thanks once again for joining us. We hope you found our conversation or at least the first part with Mike Malakoff, interesting and thought provoking as always, if you have questions about what you discussed, please get in touch with us. Our email is sailing the East. That's all one word at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, hit that
1: follow button and uh, we love to get more listeners. If you know someone that would be a good guest on the show, uh, drop us a line and we'll try to get them uh, on the show. So I hope to see you out there. I'm heading out to the boat later this week. Uh, So until next time, signing off from upstate New York.
0: See you all soon. That's great, Bela. Thanks again from over here in Münster, Germany. We'll see you next time.